0: Hey, it's Kenzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go.
1: Initialize
0: sequence. Welcome to
1: The Baldcast. A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth.
0: John Wilner is the guru of the Pac-12 Conference. You can read him at pac12hotline.com. He writes for the San Jose Mercury News, Bay Area News Group, and Joining us uh, to talk about the Pac-12 conference, Uh, Kirk Schultz last week, Wilner, Washington State president, kind of signaling that we could be in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter. Where do you
1: see this negotiation if it's a football game? Well, I think that, uh, you know, we are certainly midway through the fourth quarter, right? I think that there is like a 0.00, you know, awaiting the conference. I can't imagine that this thing is going to be un- unresolved on July 21st when they have football media day in Las Vegas and they're planning to promote the heck out of all the stellar quarterbacks and all the top 25 teams and the coaches, right? That is the biggest platform the conference has every year to promote its football teams. And if there's no media deal by then that will suck up every ounce of oxygen and there'll be no attention paid to the, the players and the coaches. And the conference does not want that. And the repercussions, I think, would be severe. Uh, so to me, they got to have it done by and announced by July 21st. Robert
0: Robbins, president of Arizona, says that he, ha- he hasn't seen numbers, or at least he sort of let on that he hadn't seen numbers yet. I don't believe him. Um,
2: what motivation
0: <laughs> does he have to say that? And do you believe that he hasn't seen numbers?
1: Well, has he seen or heard? I mean, you can parse that a bunch of ways, right? He he hasn't been shown a formal offer, but has he been told what the basic framework of a deal is? I mean, it depends on how literally you're taking him with his choice of words. Uh, I think that the presidents have a very good idea of what the offer is going to look like. Maybe not exact figures. Maybe not. Uh, exact details on how much is linear versus streaming or the, the the kickoff selection process for week eight, so to speak. But I think they all, at this point, have a pretty good idea of what it should be. And if the final bid comes in or has come in with what they expect, they're all going to sign and uh, move forward together. Wilner, this has been a saga,
0: right? We could probably write a book oh, on, my on this. Whole process that let's try to let's try to go you know a couple years in the future, a year in the future, six months in the future. We're looking back at the last eight, nine, ten months. What do you think we'll be talking about when it comes to how the Pac-12 played it, what happened, mistakes that were made? I mean, you know, you tell me.
1: Oh gosh, I, I well, I think for sure we are going to learn something, either that's stated publicly or were told privately, if they do sign a deal, we're going to learn something at that time that changes how we view the past 11, 12 months. I think that there's a lot of stuff that's happened behind the scenes that we don't know about. And that knowledge will kind of change, uh, add context to how the whole thing is viewed. I think certainly there's a chance that people are going to wait say, well, they got this deal now. They should have just taken that deal in October. And I think that that's a valid question uh, until there's a good answer. Uh, that To me, that that would be the big thing is why wasn't this wrapped up sooner? And we might learn something about that topic specifically.
0: SMU and San Diego State fans, I hear from a lot of them. What do you tell the SMU fan who who hasn't heard a lot from their university? It's been quiet on that front.
1: Well, I think that I would tell the SMU fan that's good news because I'm sure the Pac 12 has told SMU, do not utter a peep about this or the deal is off. Uh, and it certainly will be interesting to see if, if the, the leak of the, the Pac 12 visit to SMU's campus has had any kind of impact. I, I happen to think that leak came from SMU, uh, and not the Pac 12. But, you know, the no news is good news, I think. Because if the deal, if there was no chance of SMU getting in, I'm sure that would have leaked out from their campus.
0: I am uh, looking at the college football playoff expansion on the horizon. We've talked about unequal revenue sharing as it pertains to, um, you know, the, the grant of rights. And give me an idea why unequal revenue sharing when it comes to the playoff. Why is that important in today's
1: world? Well, you know, ideally, you'd probably be a super stable conference like the like the SEC or the Big Ten, and you would have you would have equal sharing of playoff revenue. But the Pac-12's got to play the the cards it was dealt, right? And to me, the way the conference is set to be configured, unequal sharing of of college football playoff money it makes sense, right? It it will reward schools who have invested. It will motivate schools that haven't invested. Exactly how much, or how they come up with a model in terms of the percentage of money. I don't know, but the the playoff is going to be worth so much money every year that every single, of each one of those 12 slots is going to be worth tens of millions of dollars. How's the Pac 12 going to divvy that out? It should, it should certainly reward the, the participant to a greater. It shouldn't be cut one twelfth or one tenth. The participant should get, you know, 30, 40, 50% of that money.
0: There have been divisions in the Pac-12 over the years between the haves and the have-nots, and they've changed a little bit at different times depending on who's investing, and certainly Colorado is making a case for being a top half of the conference team the way they're spending and investing in Coach Prime and all that, but um, Colorado's a bit of a lightning rod on my show, Uh, Wilner. How do you see season one for Coach Prime? The over-under in Vegas is four wins, sold-out season tickets, how are we going to measure success for for Colorado?
1: I would say – see, I don't think success should be a, a, as much hype as there is. You know, a bowl game, to me, is is going to be tough, especially when you've got a non-conference schedule that has, what, Nebraska and TCU and I think Colorado State even. So they don't play, Uh, you know, a cupcake. I, I think success for them is going to be four or five wins and being competitive. To me, they just – the number one thing is avoid getting bombed every week, which is what happened last last season. Right. If they're competitive and they win four or five games, I think everybody will look at that as a great stepping stone. And then in year two, you're talking about getting bowl eligible, maybe competing for the conference title. I don't know. But, but they just need to be competitive this coming season.
0: Do their do their games get circled on the calendar by opposing head coaches?
1: Uh, not, not yet. We'll see what happens against TCU and Nebraska. So it's possible. And then they got what I think they play USC and Oregon, both in yeah, September Oregon, as well. at Oregon in week four,
0: USC at home in week five. So yeah, their so, first I mean, five are tough.
1: Their first five are really tough. They could be one and four coming out of coming out of that stretch, uh, and still have played pretty darn well. But I don't think that they're circleable at this point, so to but speak. But you don't think, like,
0: it, Oregon and USC are tired of hearing about Coach Prime and the portal and, you know, nah. uh, the recruiting part of this sort of is where that, I think, it stems from? Not the fan base, but does the coaching staff circle Colorado?
1: Perhaps, but I don't know. I'm not sure that any of the coaches dislike Dion personally at this point. Uh, and I certainly think the players – uh, are not going to get. I mean, the Oregon players are look. They're looking at SC and Utah and Washington, right? Mm-hmm. Those, those four schools. That those are the games that each of those four is circling. Washington, Oregon, Utah, USC. Any game between those four are are the ones that are going to get all the attention.
0: We've been talking a lot about Colorado on the show. We've got several callers who think they're going to win. You know, some one caller thinks they're going to win the conference. Uh, others think that they're going to get boat raced. Um, I there's a there's no bigger question mark in the conference. But where are the other question marks for you? When you, you know, program that could win or could be not bowl eligible, um, do you have another team that is remotely near Colorado in that scale?
1: Good question. I mean, the thing is, the fact that your listeners on a Portland-based show are talking about Colorado tells you all you need to know about the impact of the Deion Sanders hire, first of all, right? He's He's getting... I think he's making five and a half, six million his first year. He's already it's already paid for with all of the promotion that, that Colorado has gotten from from that hire. In terms of questions, you know, I guess I would say uh UCLA, are they you know, they were they were relevant this past year. Are they gonna be relevant this season? Uh, you know, how, and just generally, how much are the LA? how impactful will the LA schools be? on the narrative of the conference in their last season. That's, that's one question I have for sure. Uh, I I also wonder, can can Oregon state keep it up? Right. I mean, I don't know that you need to win 10 games uh, to maintain your momentum, but the Beavers can't go back to like five and seven or four and eight. I don't think they will, but that's certainly, uh, I'm curious to see how they react coming off of that, that great season.
0: John Wilner, you're the best. Uh, For those who want more of this conversation, you can subscribe to the Konzano and Wilner podcast. Find it wherever you get your podcast. Wilner, thank you for giving us your time. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, my friend. Colorado over and under four wins. Steven says five. I say four. We're not that far apart. It's like this big argument we're having over Colorado. I'm at three or four. Can't decide yet. I need to see uh, hear a little bit more. But uh, John Wilner saying that coaches will not circle Colorado on the uh, on the calendar, um, probably because they haven't demonstrated they're great. I, I disagree a little bit. I've heard a little grumbling with coaches who are recruiting against Colorado, maybe a little weary of hearing about Colorado. I don't know. Leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth, Punch It Audio, and the big splash are coming up. Well, the fans in Oakland uh, were not happy, obviously, with John Fisher, the A's owner. Not happy at all last, uh, last night. Big uh, protest uh, moment at their game in which the fans uh, stood in silence uh, in the uh, beginning of the fifth inning and then began chanting, sell the team in the fifth inning. Um, reverse boycott, they called it. I don't know if this is an effective way to get back at the owner, but it made some noise. Pitcher had to call timeout, check his earpiece.
2: He's swinging a fair ball inside the third baseline, and Siri's going to turn and make his way to second, and he has notions about third. He'll put the brakes on as Seth gets it back in. We heard the crowd go silent and now getting very loud at the Coliseum. Walls would now stand in for Tampa Bay. Rays trying to open the scoring, and uh, Hogan can't hear with the pitch call because of the crowd, and now time has called. Things have gotten loud here, and this is certainly a new experience in 2023 at the Coliseum.
0: The Coliseum had noise. It had life. It had angry fans. They uh, threw things onto the field at the end of the game. All that was cleaned up, but uh, reverse protest by the A's. You know what I, I started thinking about? I started thinking about Seattle. I started thinking about the Sonics. I started thinking about the the Clay Bennett effort, which was kind of crappy. I mean, it was crappy. Let's just say it. Uh, you know, let's not use weak language. Just it was crappy for Clay Bennett and his ownership group to take the Sonics and rip them out of Seattle, take them away from so many fans, and uh, it was a uh, it was bad. I mean, it was bad in a number of ways, and it triggered me a little bit. Maybe kind of. Glad that it's not Portland. I don't know if that sounds weird. It made me glad that it's not Portland trying to take the A's out of Oakland, that it's Las Vegas. You know, in the end, you probably don't want someone else's team unless you can really point to that city and go, hey, they blew it. Like, they they didn't want the team. They dropped the ball. Because I, I feel for the fans in Oakland. Like, I grew up in the Bay Area. I feel for the fans in the East Bay who grew up as A's fans, especially fans who were, uh, you know, in lockstep with the A's in 1988-89, Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, Bay Bridge Series, Tony Larusa, Dave Stewart, really good A's teams, and especially the fans maybe from the 1970s, Reggie Jackson, Raleigh Fingers, Catfish Hunter, Joe Rudy, um, so many, uh, you know, Ray Fossey behind the plate. There were so many good memories of this franchise and what they represented in the Bay Area and how they owned the East Bay Area, and now um, John Fisher doing what a lot of owners and ownership groups in today's world do, the valuing the dollar over the brand, valuing, uh, you know, getting the team out of Oakland, getting a new stadium, getting some sucker to pay for it for him, and, you know, you know what's going to happen. I mean, the minute they get that stadium built and they get any kind of trajectory in, In Las Vegas, he's going to turn around and he's going to try to sell the team. And he he will sell the team. And he'll sell it for more than he could sell it for in Oakland. But not very holistic. Not very nice, John Fisher. And I'm glad you're not Portland's Major League Baseball hope in the end. Because, you know, Clay Bennett ripped the Sonics out of Seattle. He needed an assist from David Stern. And I am left thinking about Rob Manfred, the Major League Baseball commissioner, who... Took the A's out of Oakland, took that last sports franchise out of Oakland, and sent it on its way to Vegas. And you know, I, my hope is that you know the A's. I I kind of hope would they reverse field? Would Vegas decide they weren't going to build that stadium, give the A's all those subsidies and all that money, and you know, essentially build them a stadium? And you know, maybe they'd come to their senses. But after all. It is Vegas, but I am left thinking, like, what about Vegas? Like, I I spend time in Las Vegas, you know? I'm not going to see Carrot Top or the Blue Man Group. That's kind of where the A's are going to sit, kind of in the hierarchy of Las Vegas entertainment acts. They're not the Raiders. They're not the Golden Knights, certainly. They're not going to be the NBA when the NBA gets there. It's not going to even be like David Copperfield or maybe, uh, you know, a, a musical act like Usher who, you know, Or Sebastian Maniscalco, who I'd go see in a heartbeat. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority. There has to be a reason why the Blue Man Group and Carrot Top and the Thunder from Down Under do well. Somebody's going to see them. Maybe somebody will go to see the A's when they're in Vegas. But, Steven, it bothered me to see that scene. It reminded me of the sadness around Seattle when the Sonics left.
2: It is sad. That that was the the main takeaway for me is just what a sad situation because you can tell that those fans – you know they love it, and they love the A's, and you you see those diehards coming out, and they know just inevitably like they're going to Vegas. Like that's just kind of what it's the right in the wall is, and it's just it's, it's sad that they have to do it this way. They're trying their best to keep them in Oakland, but it's not going to work. You know I, I'm going to push back a little bit on you, John. I think I don't. They they obviously won't be as popular as the Raiders in Vegas, but I do feel like the Golden Knights, their success. And the Aces' success in the WNBA, like I feel like the locals in Vegas are gonna mm. support the baseball team. Like they they've gone out and they've supported the WNBA team and the hockey team. Where I think the Raiders are more like, you know what, my team's coming in to Vegas. They're playing the Raiders. I want to come visit my team from out of town and watch that road game. Where I think the locals down in Vegas will still support the A's more than just like you know someone like you or me who's visiting Vegas. I don't think it's meant to be. You know, hey, you know, the Giants are playing in Vegas. So John, you want to go watch the Giants play Vegas? I think it's more just like, you know what? It's something different for a local down there that lives there, that doesn't want to go on the strip and be all, you know, part of the Las Vegas lifestyle.
0: The A's worked with a firm called CSL International. They're a marketing group that surveyed 17,000 people in Las Vegas, mostly in Southern Nevada. They did. They did survey some tourists. They did reach out to some A's season ticket holders and some other fans in the American League West, and they determined that it was going to be better than expected. I, I'm i looking at it, and I'm having a hard time with it because there's so much going on in Las Vegas. And, Stephen, like, okay, I'll debate you on this. Like, you go to Vegas, and I say to you, hey, Stephen, give me three hours of your time. Let's go see, you know, the A's play a baseball game Is that going to win over you going to the sports book, going to the casino, going to a Vegas show, going to dinner? Like, I think there's a lot of competition there. And I I almost feel like baseball, the way baseball should win is by going to underserved markets, not overserved markets like Vegas. But the study says otherwise. It, It agrees with you.
2: But don't you think that the people that live there, like that's what I think it's built for is the people that live there and they've shown support for these lesser teams already, you know, Golden Knights, like I said, the Aces, they have good showings. I think like the locals in Vegas are going to love the A's more than the tourists because you're Mm -hmm. right. Like if I'm going to Vegas, I'm not going to watch a baseball game. I've been down to Vegas during the NBA Summer League you know what I didn't think of doing? Going to go watch NBA Summer League because I didn't want to watch those guys play. <laughs> I wanted to sit by the pool, sit by the sports book, yeah, and just hang out, and relax. Like I'm not going to see, you know the you know the lesser competition. So I don't think it's meant for somebody like me, but I think someone that lives down in Vegas and is there all the time, I think that they will support it like they've shown that they will come out to these smaller teams and really Maybe. support. So I think baseball falls in the same type of category.
0: Tough ticket. The Golden Knights are a tough ticket. You can't argue with that. They have they have adopted hockey in Vegas like it's evident, right? We know that. The Raiders have done well, but the NFL I think is different. You know, again, I think you can be a tourist and go there, you know, go there to see your team. If you're a Cowboys fan and you're living in the Pacific Northwest, I guess you could wait for the Cowboys to go to Seattle and see them there. But if they're in Vegas, you think about it. And I think, you know, Vikings fans, Niners fans, anybody who goes to play the Raiders in Vegas thinks about it. But, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe it's a different crowd. Maybe it's not just the, you know, the transient visitor to Vegas who's going, you know, can I see a show? And one of the things that, like, the casinos want to do to you is, right, they don't want you to leave the casino. So I kind of wondered, like, Even with, you know, the ballpark being close enough to Raiders Allegiant Stadium and the Golden Knights T-Mobile Arena, like, close enough to form kind of a sports entertainment triangle, you're still having to leave the casino. And I got to be honest with you, like, I go to Cosmo or wherever we go, I'm not... Trying to get out of that casino unless I have to. Well, especially during you the
2: summer, especially during the summertime when it's hundred and twelve <laughs> out there, you know, and you're just sweating, just like crazy. You got to get inside the building. I'm with you on that one.
0: But so why didn't they? You know, the place where they want to put this, I, you know, I almost would have made more sense to me if it were ten miles off the strip. You know, far enough away where you go, okay, like people who live in the Vegas area and don't want to deal with the strip will go to the games, but you can't get that far away because you know that uh, like an important stripe of this is tourism and the taxes they're going to create from the tickets and. You know damn well they're going to build a casino within the ballpark when they build this thing. So I think it would be really interesting to see. And I
2: think with it being so close, they want it, you know, so you go to the game. In theory, if you are a tourist, you're going to the game, then you're heading up back to the casinos right after the game, right? And you're going to the bars and you're drinking and partying and having fun. So I I think you're right. Like, I think in theory it sounds great to have it 10 miles away, but they can't do that. Like, you just can't do that if you're in Vegas because all that stuff is just right there on top of each other.
0: That brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing that you need to know.
2: This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash!
0: Well, the A's took a step towards that Las Vegas uh, defection that we've been talking about. The Nevada Senate approved $380 million in public funding for a stadium. Uh, On the strip, it was approved by the Senate during a special session yesterday. Vote was 12-7. The bill was not advanced uh, in the normal legislative session that ended last week. But uh, to be clear, this does not mean the A's are now moving to Vegas officially, but it does clear the first legislative hurdle for for the ballpark. The funding bill now goes to the Nevada Assembly, which uh, met earlier today, and if it proved, then it'll go to the governor, and uh, the governor, who has supported the A's, uh, is expected to sign the bill. If it happens, they'll still need to secure $1.2 million in funding, which they can do uh, with the approval of the other Major League Baseball owners. Coming up, Tom Crean, former Marquette and Indiana
2: coach. (laughs)